Hey, it's Cody Woodard, pastor of Renovation Church in Gallatin, Tennessee. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. I hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you see that God wants to do something new in and through your life. Enjoy the message. Put your hands together. Come on, anybody excited to be in the house tonight? Come on. Man, I'm so honored to get to be back with you in person. Amen. Hey, and if you're watching online, thank you so much for joining us. We got about 75 people in the room that are here for our online recording. Y'all excited about it? Come on, God is moving. Again, thank y'all so much uh, for being here. I've been preaching to an empty room for like three months. So I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you, don't let tonight be another one of them nights. Amen? Amen. Well, um, tonight we are gonna have a, a really important conversation. We're gonna have a conversation that not only I want to have, but that I need to have, that I have to have. And so I don't know what you kind of came in expecting. Maybe some of you came in expecting relationship goals week five. Uh, We're not gonna talk about that tonight. I think there's things that are more pressing, that are more appropriate to have a conversation about. And so tonight I wanna open up and take a first step in having a conversation on racial reconciliation. And I, and I just wanna say, I've been, I've been thinking for really months and we've actually had things in the work to have this conversation back in, man, October. But we need to have it now more than ever before, amen? And, um, and I don't have all the words to say. I, I, I've been scared to death all day, not because of what to say, but to know that there's nothing, I'm not gonna be able to say everything I wanna say in one message. I don't think tonight is the solution, but I am believing that we're a part of the solution. And so this isn't just about the murder of George Floyd. This is about decades and decades and decades of systematic racism and oppression that the black community has experienced. The pain, the hurt. And I can't stand up here and faithfully preach the word of God while my family is hurting. I can't stand up here and declare to you about this God of grace, this God who reconciles us back together and we're one family. And yet right now in our country, in our world, we may be more divided than ever. There's riots happening. People are hurting, there's pain. And so I also don't stand up here and pretend like I understand what it's like to be a black man in America. I can't, I'll never understand. And many of you never will either. But I am gonna stand here and make sure I'm not silent. I am gonna make sure that we're gonna be part of a solution. I love what the artist KB, who I followed for a long time, he says that, you know you have an idolatry of politics when you believe that the war on racism is left versus right rather than the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of darkness. So this isn't a political talk tonight. This is a biblical talk tonight. So I don't know if you know this, but but racism is is more than a skin issue. It's a sin issue. It's a gospel issue. And so to not talk about the very thing that Jesus died to redeem, that he died to reconcile, I wouldn't be doing him any justice. Here's what I know. 
I know that silent pastors lead silent Christians and silent Christians make silent churches and a silent church makes a cowardice Christianity and my God ain't a coward what I also know is that bold pastors will lead bold Christians and bold Christians will build bold churches and bold churches will change the world. And that's why we're standing here right now because Jesus invested his life into a few men who said they're not gonna fall back to the constraints of culture, but they're gonna be bold in witness and share about the reconciling good news of Jesus. Can't be silent, I won't be silent. Proverbs 31, if you'll put it up on the screen for me. Proverbs 31. It says this. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. So tonight I want to talk to you about the sin of silence. I want to talk to you about the sin of silence. Will you pray with me? We just stretch your hand towards heaven, believing God's going to speak a word tonight. Father, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that your spirit would fall in this place. Because this is a gospel issue. God, and this breaks your heart. It undermines the beauty of who you are. God, we stand tonight believing that we were all created in the image of you and that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God, that you took your time on every individual that's in this room. You don't wish they were a different color. You don't wish they had different hair. You you don't wish they were a different height. God, but you love them and you call them your masterpiece, your greatest work of art. And so God, I pray that we wouldn't just speak about it tonight, but that we would live it tomorrow. God, I pray that you would come in into our hearts and do the work only you can do. As Billy Graham said, tragically too often in the past, evangelical Christians have turned a blind eye towards racism or have been willing to stand aside while others take the lead in racial reconciliation, saying it's not our responsibility. God, we declare today that it is our responsibility and we're gonna move forward in unity. So God, do the work only you can do. Stand in my body, speak to my mouth, the things you would have me say and do. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Hey, air hug or air high five somebody. If you're watching online right now, Make sure you let us know where you're watching from. There have been people, y'all, every week. Last week, we had somebody tuning in from South Africa and from Kenya. Come on, somebody. We are literally having the opportunity because of your generosity, because of your faithfulness, because of God's faithfulness to reach people all over the world. And so again, thank you for joining us online. Thanks for coming. And if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet or hang out with you yet, my name's Cody Woodard. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. And uh, before we dive in, I got something I wanted to, to share with you. Last week, uh, my wife and I were at home and we were kind of doing the honey to-do list, you know. And, uh, and she asked me, Cody, will you go out and pull the weeds? Now, how many of you just love yard work? Anybody in the room? 
Okay, only a few of you, right? So some of you are willing to do yard work, but you don't love yard work. I'm one of those people, okay? Like, I'll do it, but I really don't want to do it because I got other things I want to do. And so she asked me, will you go out and pull the weeds? Now, our yard is, is maintained and kept well, but our, where our fence is isn't actually on the edge of our property line, and so there's weeds all around it. And so she said, will you, go, will you go pick all the weeds? So instead, what I decided to do was I decided to get Roundup. <laughs> Why? Because Roundup is more efficient. Roundup, I can just come on and just squirt, 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 and keep going, Right? And, uh, but the problem with Roundup is it may kill it in a few days, but it'll grow back in a few weeks. How many of you know this? The bigger problem with Roundup, as I found out, is that Roundup actually has a harmful chemical in it that has now been discovered to cause non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And the way that was discovered was there was a couple in California that in order to keep their garden, they were older, so they used Roundup nearly every day. And they contracted, both of them, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so as they begin to research and, and dive into figuring out, like, where is the root of this issue? Where did it come from? Because they were both healthy. They found out that it was caused from this chemical they were using in Roundup. And so as they begin to investigate, what happened was they, they discovered that Roundup had actually paid off scientists to remain silent on the issue and declare that nothing was wrong with the chemical. What happened almost a year ago is Roundup was sold for two... Was, was, did I say sold? Yeah, I said sold. They lost, they lost the battle. They lost the court case. And they were sued for $2 billion. Now, I share that with you because Roundup lost $2 billion and it cost them a lot. Why? Because they were silent. We've lost a lot of people in this country because we've been silent. I want to talk about the sin of silence. I want to talk about the sin of silence because... Write this down. The root of racism is sin. And sin was conceived in silence. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Genesis chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. We're going to take it all the way back to the beginning. Can we do that? Come on, y'all. Listen, I've been preaching to a quiet room. Y'all ready for the word? Genesis chapter 3. As you may know this story, God creates Adam and Eve. He places them in the garden. He says they can eat of any. Any tree in the garden except for one. And then here comes the serpent and he begins to talk to her and talk to Adam and begins to tempt them. He says, God is lying to you. He's holding out on you. And so here's what we pick up in verse 6. It says this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Say, with her. And he ate it. Then... The eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they, fixed, they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. See, we always want to blame Eve, but you do realize when, it says, when was their eyes open? After Adam made it. Where was Adam? Right next to her. Passively standing there as his wife was being tempted by a snake. Verse 17 says this, and then to the man, God said, since you listened to your wife, and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat. The ground is cursed because of you. And your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and weeds. Somebody say thorns, thorns. and weeds. Though you will eat of its grains by the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. From you were made from dust. And to dust you will return. See, it's in this moment where 
Eve is being tempted by Satan. And what God is telling Adam is that because you passively stood there silent and watched your wife eat the fruit, cursed is the ground because of you. At this moment when sin enters into the world, the relationship had been broken between God and humanity. But now it was also broken between Adam and Eve, between you and me. Because of sin, it's broken down the relationship. It's caused hostility to one another. So that's why sin is, a, is the root of racism. It's where it all began. It began when now you and I are against each other. We're not with each other. We're not in fellowship with one another. It's why at that moment when it says their eyes were open, they were ashamed. And then they went and they covered themselves with fig leaves. Why? Because Adam passively stood there silent. The sin of silence. Now that word passive comes from a Latin word where we get to suffer. And so what Adam did was he passively stood there and allowed the suffering to take place. And so Adam, in this moment, he is, he is silent. And I love what Proverbs 10 says. It says this in verse 11. It says, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. See, when you're silent in the middle of someone's struggle, when you're silent in the middle of someone's pain, when you're silent in the middle of what's going on in our country right now, you do realize that your silence speaks louder than your words ever will. See, right now in this season we're in, do you, do you get that silence means a couple of things? Silence means that you just don't care. I don't care. I got other things to worry about. I got other things to do. I don't have time to deal with everything that's going on around me. It's too heavy. Too heavy for who? For me? It's too heavy for me. It's called apathy. So your silence will communicate apathy. The next thing your silence communicates is you. I, I just don't know. I don't get it. Maybe that's where some of you are at tonight. You're going, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to think. I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't understand. The word that, that, that definition is ignorance. Your silence will communicate ignorance because this isn't a new issue. This didn't just begin with George Floyd. This has been a systematic problem now for centuries. So your silence will communicate apathy, ignorance, and then now knowing better. You choose not to say anything. It's called cowardice. It's called cowardice. So what your silence communicates, whether you intend it to or not, it communicates an apathetic heart. It communicates ignorance. And it communicates cowardice. And I don't know if you know, but Jesus didn't die on the cross for us to be apathetic, ignorant, and cowardice. That's Adam. Jesus died for us to be empathetic, understanding, and compassionate. Amen? Amen. And so here's what I want to do. I want to read to you a story tonight that I think will help shape this. In Luke chapter 10, 
So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It's in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. I want to point your attention to this because I think it's going to give us a framework on where to start and to see the difference between passion and passivity. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But, somebody say but. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? Jesus says, what does it take to live? He says, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, exactly. And then he goes, but who's my neighbor? It's a pretty gutsy question, isn't it? Some of you may never ask the question, but you think it. I think it. God, do I really have to love, do I really got to love the Democrat? Do I really got to love the, the Republican? Are they really my neighbor? I mean, we don't really kind of, we don't vibe like that. Do I really have to love the people who live in North Gallatin versus the ones that live out east? Do I really got to love them and, because they're, they're a different skin color than me? Do I really have to love them because we have different financial brackets? Do I really have to love them because they got a different hair texture? Do I really have, who is my neighbor, God? So then Jesus tells a story. He says this, he says, A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. A priest. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple temple assistant, a Levite, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan, interesting phrase there. So you need to understand about the context of what Jesus is referring to. Because it was obvious in that day that Jews and Gentiles did not get along. Jews and Gentiles were always fighting against each other. The Jews thought they were the chosen ones, the righteous ones, the circumcised, and the Gentiles were those people over there that don't get to experience the blessing and the promise of God. But Samaritans, Samaritans were viewed as worse because they were the half-breeds. And it was said that in Jewish culture that if you were ever to walk by a Samaritan, that you would try touching shadows because even if your shadows touched, you were unclean. So here is a Jewish man lying on the side of the road, stripped of clothes, beaten, and left for dead. And here comes the Samaritan, the one that the man probably laying down would never even touch shadows with, the one who would not consider them my neighbor. And here's what it says. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him up. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. 
The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I hear it. Now watch Jesus' question. Now, which one of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same. So I want to point your attention back to when it says that he had compassion for him. Then it says going over to him. Did you know that the word passive and passion come from the same root word in Latin? They both mean to suffer. Passive means to watch someone else suffer and do nothing about it. That's Adam. That's the priest. That's the Levite. Passion means to be willing to suffer for. Compassion means to suffer with. And so now this Samaritan chooses not to be passive and watch the man suffer and die and lay there stripped and naked. Instead, he's moved with compassion, but compassion doesn't just feel bad. It says when he saw him, he was moved with compassion and then went over to help him. Compassion's when you do something. It's more than a feeling. It's when you're saying, I'm willing to suffer with you. Anybody thankful that you have a God who wasn't passive? Who didn't just stand up in heaven and look down on earth and see you broken, busted and disgusted on the side of the road, getting ready to die and go, you know what? They'll be okay. They're not my people. They sinned against me. But you have a God who says, no, no, no. I'm passionate enough to come down, leave heaven, come and bind up their wounds, heal them with the Holy Spirit so that they can live. This is the gospel. That when it says Jesus had compassion on them. He looked out on the crowds and it says he has compassion on them. He was moved with compassion. Splognitzamai. It means in the gut. That he was so bothered by the, what he saw in the culture that he couldn't simply watch it and then do nothing. So can I ask you a question? Are you passionate or passive? Are you compassionate or are you complacent? Which neighbor are you? Which man are you? Which woman are you? When you see somebody that's hurting and you see somebody that's broken, are you the one that walks on by and says, ah, I just ain't got time for that. I got somewhere to be. You realize that Jesus was never too busy to love you. Why are we too busy to love other people? This is what compassion does. Compassion moves. And so let me say it like this. Your silence is agreement. Your silence, their silence is more than words. You do know that. Silence is more than words, it's actions. And they saw him, but said nothing and did nothing. But when you have compassion, when, you, when you're moved inside, you can't help yourself but to do something with it. To take a step forward to help out the person that's on the, on the ground. To help out the man whose cop's knee is on his neck dying and suffering for nine minutes. It's called passive. And it breaks the heart of God. And it should break yours too. There's no excuse for silence. Our silence is agreement. That if we say we love God, 
We'll love our neighbor. And we won't question who our neighbor is. Because when you say that you love God but do nothing about it, it's called hypocrisy. When you say you love your neighbor but don't do anything about it, it's called manipulation. It's all about what you can get for them. And Jesus didn't die for you to get something from you. He died to give something to you. And so therefore you and I are not in relationship with one another to see what I can get from you. It's what I can give to you. And that's the love and grace of Jesus. Because I've been loved, I'm gonna love you, amen? This is what compassion looks like. And it comes from, it comes from the heart. Jesus came to reconcile us, not just to him, but to each other. That's why in his Sermon on the Mount, he says, if any of you come in and you're wanting to offer your gift on the altar, but you, you remember something against your brother or sister, first go and be reconciled with them, then come offer your gift. Jesus came to, to reconcile us, to tear down the dividing wall, to, to take care of the sin. Ephesians 2 verse 14 says, For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commands and regulations. His purpose, say purpose. Jesus' purpose, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile, say reconcile. Reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Jesus didn't go and die on the cross and tear down the walls of racism so that the church can build them back up. He didn't break down the wall of hostility between races, between people, between genders so that you and I can build them back up because we're apathetic, ignorant, and don't care enough to say something. That's not why Jesus died. He came to reconcile us together. This idea of reconciliation is, I want you to picture this with me. It's, it's that sin has divided us as people, as individuals, as humans. It's, it's created a barrier between us and God and us and one another. And so what Jesus came to do is to reconcile us, to make you one, to connect you, to be back in communion with God by going to the cross and dying for your sin. But he also died on the cross so that you can be reconciled to the one you've been separated from. And so this idea of reconciliation is when God takes the two that were separated and he unifies them and makes them one. Watch this. Do you know what racism does? It takes the very thing that God created to unify and make one and it makes them two. Racism is reconciliation in reverse. I'm gonna say it again. Racism is reconciliation in reverse because the very thing God brought together, racism now separates and then it speaks to the beauty of God and says it's not worth it. It does the very opposite of what Jesus came to do. Are you tracking with me? And so God calls us to be reconciled Together, and that should break your heart to the fact that people are still fighting over this race issue, that there's still systematic problems in our country. There's still ignorance, and I'm just gonna be honest, amongst white people, amongst white Christians, and this sin of silence has caused issues for hundreds of years. 
It's caused pain. It's called innocent men and women to lose their lives based on the color of their skin. And this breaks the heart of God and it should break your heart too. But if it breaks your heart, it should come out of your mouth. Let me tell you why. Luke 6 says this. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. I want you to read this with me. For the mouth speaks, come on, next verse. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Say that again. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Some translations say out of an overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's it saying? You talk about what you love. You talk about what you value. So if you ain't talking about it, you don't love them. If you ain't talking about it, you don't value it. Why? Because if it broke your heart, it would come out of your mouth. You would care enough to say something and to do something, not to sit back and remain complacent and comfortable. That out of the overflow of your heart, it controls what you talk about and what you remain silent on. So your silence is agreement. And so if racism is a sin issue, it's a gospel issue. If it starts with the heart, then that's where you and I need to start. Because for far too long, we look at the symptoms but never handle the disease. We look at the problems on the surface that we see in culture and we think that we can just fix them by covering them up. And so what this passage teaches us is that you will know a tree by its fruit, right? And so a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. So if you don't like the fruit your life is producing, you got to check the root. you got to check the root. And so what we'll do, I'm going to give you three different ways. When these weeds grow, and weeds in Scripture are the things that choke out the life and the seed that God has planted to grow, to nourish life. And what happens is, is when you and I see weeds, we just want them to go away. Sometimes we'll look at the weeds and we'll think, well, they're not my problem. Sometimes we'll look at issues of race and be like, well, I got black friends, so I'm not racist. It's not my problem. And so you'll think because it's not your problem, you'll remain silent. Let me show you what silent looks like. Every time you're silent, do you know what happens when you water a plant? It grows. This is what silence does. It's apathetic. It's ignorant. And it breaks the heart of God. And then the other thing we'll do is we'll take a look at it and we'll go, you know, well, I don't like that. So I'm just going, I'm going to chop it off, which might be a good thing because at least it will like, at least it will help. Right now, don't get me wrong. This isn't necessarily a bad step. It's just not the necessary one because what happens if I chop that off, it's going to grow back. And so what we'll do is we'll post a black square on Facebook. 
what will happen is, is we'll quote Martin Luther King once a year. What happens is, is we'll talk about racial reconciliation on one Sunday. Now, this may not make it as tall, but it's still going to grow. And so what happens in issues in your marriage and in your life, the reason why they keep coming back is because we're not dealing with the actual issue. We just want to get it down here just low enough where then we can just take some dirt and we can just cover it up and pretend like nothing's wrong. But if you don't like the fruit, you got to check the root. There is no more time for us to just pretend like this issue doesn't happen. You don't got to see any more videos. How many men got to die to show you that there's a problem in this country? Don't you know it's the sin of our country? It's the sin of our nation. The other day I was having a conversation. I was having a conversation with someone who's African-American and they're processing their pain with me and they're processing their hurt with me. And they say, you know, the hardest thing about this whole thing is I don't know how to tell my kid that when they walk home, that may not be safe. I don't know how to raise my kid telling them that people will hate them because of the color of their skin. Does that break your heart? You think it's a political issue? So you, my prayer today is that you would ask God and you would be open to the hand of God that the Bible describes as a great gardener. And you would say, God, I am done cutting this at the surface. I'm done pretending like it doesn't happen. God, would you come in, stick your hand down, and would you begin to rip out the roots of racism in my life? Would you begin to rip out the roots of bigotry? Would you begin to rip out the roots of segregation? Would you rip out the roots of hatred, of violence, of, of all of this stuff? Would you just begin to rip out the roots in my life? And would you begin to just start planting some new seeds? Some new seeds of grace, some new seeds of love, some new seeds of joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. Would you be open to the hand of God ripping out the roots of sin in your life? Because that's what it's going to take. And you're going to have to say, God, you're going to have to confess and say, God, I've I'm guilty, I've messed up, and I don't like the fruit that's been producing. Will you rip out the root? Somebody say, rip out the root. Will you rip out the root? Plant a new spirit inside of me. Plant a new love inside of me. Why? Because by this, everyone will know if you are a follower of Jesus, by the way you love one another. Aren't you glad love isn't just passive? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just say he loved you, but showed he loved you to the point not only he suffered for you, but he suffered in your place so that you didn't have to? We gotta let God rip out the root. 
And here's why. Because revival will never happen in the roots of racism. And I don't know about you, but I'm believing that God wants to do a revival and God can't do a revival in this city until he does a revival in your heart. He can't do a revival through you until he he starts a revival in you. And that's gonna start with you opening up your heart and saying, God, I'm guilty. I feel convicted. I'm hurting. But will you just come in and rip out the roots in my life? Plant new seeds. Will you help me be patient? Will you help me be kind? James 1.19, to bring back what me and my beautiful wife talked about last week. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You wanna know what you can do? Be quick to listen. Stop just saying stuff because it feels right. Stop just saying stuff because you feel like you're supposed to. Stop stop saying stuff because that's what your family does. Be quick to listen. Sit down, shut your mouth and be open to a conversation and go, you know, I don't know what it's like, but would you just, would you help me understand? Be slow to speak. Notice it doesn't say be silent. There's a difference. So we have to be willing to listen and to learn. You wanna help move the church forward, not just our country. You wanna help move the church of Jesus Christ forward in our city and in this world. You're gonna have to be quick to listen and slow to speak. You're gonna have to be willing to, to learn and to listen, to learn and to listen. Chapter two, verse eight says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, You sin and are convicted by the law of lawbreakers. First John three says, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. So listening and learning is maybe the first step for some of us. And then speaking about it may be the second one. It may be the first. Some of us are using the experience of, well, I'm just learning right now to not say nothing. I don't need to learn anymore when I see a black brother on the ground dying. It's not time to listen and learn. Why? Because they're human. People are humans. And for the sake of humanity, we gotta speak up and say something. So for you, you gotta listen, you gotta learn, but it can't stop there. It's got to go into your actions. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, just as one body, though though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Verse 26, if one part suffers, Every part suffers with it. Jeremy, if one part of the body suffers, every part of the body suffers with it. And one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We are one body. If you are in Christ, you've been 
reconciled into the family of God. We are one body, and when one part of the body is hurting, the rest of the body hurts with it. We gotta learn how to weep with those who weep and to mourn with those who mourn and stop defending and saying stupid stuff that does more damage than good. You know, a couple years ago when I was in college, I was playing basketball and I broke my pinky. And I know it looks still broke, but it's not, okay? It actually got fixed, and, and, but the tendon grew back all weird because I didn't wear the splint like they told me to. So now it's all funky. So now people make fun of me when I say five. They're like, you mean four and a half, right? Um, but you know, when I went to go get the doctor to fix this finger, when I walked in, I said, doc, I need you to fix my pinky. And he says, I can't do that. Why? He said, well, because I know your pinky's broken, but all your other fingers matter too. Of course he didn't say that. Why? Because my pinky was the one that was broken. I already know all the other fingers matter, but the one that's fixed is the one that's broken. The one that needs to get fixed is the one that has been broken, has been hurt, has been bleeding. And so sometimes we'll say things as white people, I said it, white people will say things like all lives matter. You don't get it. Anybody with a brain knows that all lives matter. That's not the purpose. Saying black lives matter is because they do. It's quiet. Saying black lives matter is when a house is burning in your neighborhood and the fire department comes and, and, and washes all the other houses but ignores the one on fire. The, the problem, y'all, is that there is a, a whole culture, a whole group of people who are hurting and they're bruised and they're burned and, and, and it's been for hundreds of years. And when you say things and you're not quick to listen and slow to speak, you'll be like, well, all lives matter. And it's like, yeah, but you're ignoring my humanity. Now, I'm not saying this from a place to condemn you, to make you feel guilty. That's not my hope tonight. I don't know if you know this, but conviction and guilty doesn't lead to life change. Grace does. So, so what I want you to understand is that, listen, you may be feeling convicted, you may be feeling guilty, but it doesn't stop there because Jesus didn't come to make you feel guilty and condemned and messed up. Jesus came because you are guilty, you are condemned, but he loved you so much, he showered you in his grace. He didn't leave you there. So my hope isn't to let you leave here today being like, I'm so messed up, I'm so guilty. Yeah, that may be true, but the grace of God covers it. Guilt doesn't lead to life change, repentance does. The idea of repentance in the Old Testament is to change direction. The idea in the New Testament is to change the way that you think. Some of us need to change the way that we think. We need to change our minds. And the only way that will happen is if you let God rip out the root. You can't just keep covering it up with dirt. Adam and Eve, you can't just sow fig leaves and cover up the problem. But what I love next in that story is that God comes down. He finds them in the garden and he clothes them. He covers them. He covers their shame. He covers their sin. He doesn't give up on them. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And I will show you the most excellent way. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I might boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You wanna know what you can do? Love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. It's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. Racism is evil. Profiling is evil. It comes from the pit of hell and we got to send it back where it belongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Do you protect? It always trust. Are you trustworthy? It always hopes and it always perseveres. Love never fails. You know, one day I had a friend who's sitting in this room right now said this to me and it, it broke me. He says, you know, man, when you get to heaven one day, you know, God's not gonna ask you about your patriotism. He's gonna ask you, did you love your neighbor? There are no asterisks next to that. Did you love your neighbor? With everything. The way you love, I loved you. We're one body and when one hurts, we all hurt. Don't sit back and be passive. God didn't call you to be passive. He called you to be filled with compassion. And to say, I may not be able to be in your shoes, but you better believe I'm going to stand with, with you in it. I will not stay silent. So right now, I want to give you the opportunity to experience the promise of God. That when you confess your sins, he is faithful to forgive them. It's a call to repentance for all of us to say, I'm not going to just stay silent. I'm going to be part of the solution. I'm asking God to rip out the root. And so I just want to give you the opportunity today to in your heart. I want to give you the opportunity to come to the altar say, God, before I go on this week, before I offer you my gift, I'm going to make sure that I'm reconciled with you and reconciled with my neighbor. Amen. Will you stand with me? Stretch your hand towards heaven. I hope you hear my heart today. I know there's things I should have said. I know there's things I probably didn't say I wanted to say. There's things I probably, for some people, will say I should have never said. But I hope you understand and see that every word came out of my mouth is from the book of, of God. This is biblical. That we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as he loved us. So right now, I want to pray for you. And if maybe you're in here and you've been trying to earn your way to God and you've never experienced the loving, reconciling grace from him, 
that you've never confessed your sin, that you keep trying to, to cover it up, I wanna give you the opportunity today to ask God to rip out the root. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. God, break our heart for what breaks yours. God, may this church be a church that is unified under one message, under one man with one mission. And that's for everybody to come and know the saving grace of Jesus. God, may you help us repent. May you help us turn in a different direction today. God, may you start revival in our heart. Would you start revival in our soul so that we can see revival in our city? God, start with us. Start with us. Help us listen and learn. Help us have conversations with people who don't look like us, who vote like us. Help us have conversations so that we're not ignorant, so that we can understand, so that we're not apathetic, so we can have empathy, God, so that we're not passive, but so that we can have compassion. God, in the final prayer you prayed was that the church would be unified, that we would be one as you and your Father are one. And so, God, my prayer for us is that this church would be a church in this city that will not commit the sin of silence, but that will stand up and say together, we're gonna reach people for you. So today, if you wanna give your life to Christ, if you wanna confess your sin and ask that he forgive you, if you want to surrender your life to him and ask him to rip out the root, I want you to, to pray this after me. Say, God, I love you. I give you my life. I surrender all to you. I believe that you died on the cross for me, that you rose again so that I can be forgiven and free. In Jesus' name, amen.
Y'all just take about 10 seconds and give God the praise he deserves. Come on. Amen. Hey, well, every one of us has a next step. For some of us, it's to listen and to learn. Some of us, it's to have conversations with people who may not look like us, vote like us, live where we live. For some of us, it's to repent because we've been guilty against our brother, against our sister. For some of us, it's to give our life to Jesus. But here's what I know. Whatever it may be, you're not supposed to do it alone. 
That's why we're here as a church. That's what we're about. We really do want to help you follow Jesus and find community and discover your purpose because we do believe that you can make a difference, that God wants to do something in and through your life. And so today, whatever your next step would, would be, whether you're watching online or you're here in person, I just want to ask you to take the time to fill out that Connect card. Let us know. We can be praying for you. Let us know if you want to join a dream team, if you want to get involved here and serve. Let us know if you, want to, if you need a community of people to surround you in this season. We want to help you take that next step. And I just want to challenge you to be here again next week. And, and, and in the meantime, I want you to, to read every resource you can to be educated. There is no excuse for you and I not to be educated with Google. There are so many amazing resources out there. If you don't know any, you come talk to me. But next week, we're going to be having Pastor Derek Jackson, Dr. Derek Jackson from First Baptist Church of Winchester. He's going to be here and we're going to meet him. We're going to have a conversation. We're going to continue the conversation as we pursue racial reconciliation together as a, as a church. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for everyone that's in the room, everyone who's watching online. Thank you for the amazing work you've done tonight. God, I pray you would begin to reconcile us to one another, God, so that we can see revival happen in us and through us. We love you. And in Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Y'all have a great week. Thank you so much for listening to the message today. I hope it encouraged you. We would love the opportunity to pray for you. Send an email to info at renovation.church. And if you would like to partner with us financially and help us reach people with the message of Jesus, you can do so at renovation.church slash give. Have a great day.